Welcome to Christ in Prophecy in our series focusing on Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm Tim Moore, the Senior Evangelist at Lamb & Lion Ministries. I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Jones, our Internet Evangelist. For the past several weeks, we've stepped through Genesis and moved into Exodus, where God sent a Deliverer to rescue His chosen people. In our last episode, we focused on Moses, the man sent by God to deliver the children of Israel from bondage. Moses' life foreshadowed that of our great Deliverer. Jesus Christ, and as He learned to love the children of Israel, He acted as a mediator between them and God, just as Jesus does for all of us who have put our trust in Him. That's right. Exodus points us to Jesus, our great God and Savior, our Deliverer and Intercessor. But Exodus also tells of an outpouring of God's wrath on those who refuse to believe Him and obey Him, and of His provision for deliverance from that wrath. To this day, Jews commemorate the Passover. God commanded them to remember what He did to deliver them from bondage in Egypt and how the angel of death passed over them on that fateful night. What was required to be delivered from that outpouring of wrath? The blood of an innocent lamb. As we explained last week, we'd place Exodus and the Passover about 3,500 years ago, approximately at 1447 B.C. With that brief overview, we're glad to welcome Dr. Baruch Corman of Love Israel to our show today. Dr. Corman began teaching the Bible to Jewish people in Hebrew in 2013. In 2014, he expanded his ministry outreach in English. Dr. Corman, we're very glad you could join us today from Israel. You're touching lives all over the world. It's a pleasure to be with you. Please call me Baruch. We're very pleased to be part of the great work that you do. And as always, we want to be people that focus upon God's Word and giving His truth to those who are seeking. Baruch, many of our listeners will notice your American accent, and yet you live and teach in Israel in Hebrew. I'm very glad we can communicate in English, but just as an introductory lesson in Hebrew, tell our viewers what Baruch means. Well, it literally means the blessed one, but I can tell you that my wife has some problems with that interpretation, but it comes from a word that means to pull down, and it's related to the knee as well. So it has to do with God's blessings coming down to those who are seeking Him and serving Him. Let's jump right into the topic. We know that God called the children of Israel living in Egyptian bondage to obey Him in a very special way. As the plagues of Egypt culminated with the angel of death visiting each home and slaying the firstborn, the Jewish people seemed to be immune from that judgment. If they obeyed God and sacrificed a lamb, then smeared the blood all over the doorposts of their houses, the angel of death would pass over them, right? One of the important points about the exodus from Egypt is that we remember it in a special blessing on the Sabbath day and all festivals. So therefore, that Passover experience is foundational in every Jewish person's mind who has a faith in God. The exodus from Egypt is a pattern. For example, in the same way that the children of Israel came out of bondage in Egypt, through the blood of the Lamb, we all know and believe and experience 
that same deliverance through the blood of the Lamb of God, Messiah. And just as the God took the people out of bondage into a promised land, one day we're going to come out of this world of darkness, this world that's going to be judged and also experience the plagues of God and be brought into a promised land, literally his kingdom. So Passover, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, it gives us much hope. And a great fact is, is that Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, he was crucified on Passover to show us that indeed it's through his lamb and Passover is usually thought of as the festival of redemption. So it's his blood that purchased eternal redemption for us. Baruch, just as most Westerners celebrate Christmas, even if they do not identify as Christians, most Jews celebrate Passover, or at least some aspects of it. But are they just following what Tevier and Fiddler on the Roof would have called tradition? Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in that, that, that people do things out of a, a ritualistic uh, uh, identity because it's expected of them, or as you mentioned, simply because of tradition. I remember one time we were new here in Israel, and we went to a family's home for Passover. And the first part of Passover was very traditional, following the Haggadah, the traditional book. But after the meal, when really the important part of the Seder begins, they didn't continue. For them, it was getting to the food, and, and that's it. But we know that Messiah taught. Remember, he takes the cup after the supper. And it was that last part of the meal that he took when he took that, that matzah and broke it and gave it to his disciples. So it's the after words of the eating that really is the significance of the Passover Seder. And unfortunately, many people skip that. During that time, the annual remembrance of that act of judgment and deliverance has been become a core part of Jewish identity. Tell us about the elements of the Seder meal and how they point to the Messiah. Well, as we, we mentioned, one of the most important parts of the Seder is the matzah. We use it several times throughout it. That matzah, it's interesting that we take uh, three pieces, but it's the middle piece. Just like we speak of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Son is the second. We take that second piece of matzah, we, we show it, and how it's been pierced, how it has stripes, and it's broken. And this middle piece represents what's going to become after the mill at the conclusion that alfi komen. And that is a, a Greek word, the only Greek word in the Seder, which means I have come. It's interesting in, in Hebrew, they sometimes call it the tzafun, which is hidden. And when you put those two things together, the fact that Messiah has come, unfortunately, is hidden to many of our people. Also, we know that there's four cups for the Passover Seder that is observed throughout that meal. And it's the third cup, that cup after supper that Yeshua took, that he blessed. And this third cup, based upon what we read in the book of Exodus chapter 6, these four cups are derived from that portion of scripture. And the third one speaks of redemption. And Messiah says, when he took that cup after the supper, this is the blood of the new covenant. And we know that new covenant is a covenant of forgiveness, which relates to redemption. And it's also, it's also, it's a cup that speaks about a kingdom covenant. 
So all of this speaks and shows God's providence in giving the people a, a tradition. And I say tradition, it's really a biblical commandment because in Exodus 12, it says when you do this work or service. So it's not just a suggestion. God commands us to tell that story and to do so with some of the elements. And we know that the, the bitter herbs relates to the, the suffering, the bitterness of slavery, and the children of Israel found themselves in Egypt because of sin. And sin does indeed live a, leave a bitter taste upon us. I'm glad you mentioned the bitter herbs. As our friends Brock and Bodhi Taney like to say regarding the scripture, everything means something. The elements of the Passover Seder meal are very specific. Can you give us an idea of what some of those elements mean, like the roasted egg and even the salt water? Depending upon your tradition, you mentioned the, the, the roasted egg. Uh, most people uh, who use that use it as a way of remembering the cycles because an egg is round. It reminds us of the uh, cycles of the festivals that, that go throughout the year and then repeat. We also, you mentioned the, the salt water because of the time of slavery due to sin in Egypt, the, the salt water represents the tears. And one of the things that's traditionally done is that we take a, a parsley loaf of, or a leaf of parsley and we dip it in the salt water and it's green. And when we take it out, it's still green. And that tells us and reminds us that the suffering of, of slavery in Egypt did not take away the life and the hope and the promises of God. So we dip it in and then it comes out and it hasn't changed. And the Jewish people remained as well without being defeated by the enemy. Now at the center of this meal ordained by God was the Passover lamb. And this innocent creature I learned had to live with the family for a time before it was slaughtered and then consumed. How does that point to Jesus Christ as our Passover lamb? Well, we see a few things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Messiah, that he is our Passover. He uses that term Pesach, which has to do with a, a sacrifice. So not just a lamb, but the sacrifice of Passover. But one of the things I think so significant about this tradition is that the lamb was, was brought into the home knowing that it would die, that it was going to be slaughtered after the family gets to know that lamb. And that's what Messiah did. He came and dwelt among us, but he came into this world to die. For example, in the book of Luke, we have the second genealogy of Messiah. And it says there that approximately at the age of 30. Now, that number 30 has great significance in Judaism. There's a specific mourning period. Most of us know about the Shiva, the seven first days. But there's also 30 days. And that has a biblical origin in the book of Numbers when, when Miriam died and Aaron died, those two deaths were mourned for 30 days. So historically in the Bible, we see 30 relating to death. Judas, he betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. So when it tells us in the genealogy that Messiah begins his ministry at the age of 30 approximately, it to tell the reader, inform the reader, that Messiah came into this world to die in the same way that that Passover lamb comes into the home with the expectation that he is going to die 
in, in four and a half more days. The Passover pa uh, Seder paints a beautiful picture and one I have appreciated even as a Gentile believer for many years. So what you're saying, Baruch, is that Yeshua, Jesus, fulfills all the symbolic messianic illusions within the Passover meal itself. He, he certainly did. And we also see how so much of that Passover meal points to not only his first coming, but another thing that we do when we speak about the plagues of Egypt, that tradition of, of taking a finger and dipping it into the wine or grape juice and sprinkling those 10 times for the 10 plagues of Egypt. But we also do three additional ones, and that's based upon the prophecy of, of Joel when it speaks about the last days and the return of Messiah. So we not only think about what Messiah did the first time, but we also remember what he's going to do when he returns. And as he said, when he ate that special meal with his disciples, he says, and he stops with the third cup, and he says, I'm not going to drink again from this fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom. And so it, it also tells us to, to do this tradition, the Lord's Supper, because you also proclaim not only the Lord's death, but until he comes again. Well, as Tim said, most Jews gather at Pesach to commemorate this meal as a tradition, even though many of them don't believe in God, much less have a relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why this contradiction? Well, we know something, and that is there's a tendency in man, all man, Jew and Gentile, not to want to submit. And a very important verse of scripture is found in, in Psalm 14, where it says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And if you look at the context, it's in order to do sinful things. And therefore, much of the Jewish community, they only embrace this, as you said, traditionally. And unfortunately, a significant percentage is also secular, not believing in God. And that whole purpose is in order for us to be what we want to be instead of submitting to what God has called us to be. But I do want to point out that, uh, especially in Israel, there is a large segment, probably about 50% of the Israeli Jewish community who are observant, who do indeed see Passover with great significance. But one of the problems is this, and Paul points to this in the book of Romans chapter 10, when he says they, they have a zeal for righteousness, but wanting to establish righteousness according to their own knowledge, according to their own way. So what we need and what our work about our work is about here in Israel is turning people to the word of God, the significance, and finding that the only way to connect with the God of Israel, the one true God, is through scripture. This is foundational. Speaking of the exodus that resulted from God's final outpouring of judgment on Egypt, the Bible says that the regathering of the Jewish people to Israel in the last days will be even more miraculous than their deliverance from Egyptian bondage so long ago. And we've witnessed just such a regathering in the past century. And yet most Jews seem oblivious to the prophetic significance of that fact. Do they understand the miraculous nature of what God is doing in our own day and age? Excellent question. Unfortunately, there seems to be a tendency to not put the emphasis as we should upon prophecy. It is so significant that God is bringing back the Jewish people to the land. My family is an example of this. And one of the things that's so frustrating to me is to, to see 
for example, sometimes a, a very religious Israeli. And he says, I can tell by your accent, you're from America. You're an English speaker. Yeah. And he says, why would you leave there to come here? And they are oblivious to what God is up to. One very quick story. We were in Northern Europe conducting a conference, and I was sharing about how God is fulfilling prophecy and bringing the people back despite all the problems here in Israel with terrorism and other things, people are coming back. Building is, is just, just thriving in Israel. And, and when, when these people in Northern Europe heard about what God's doing, and they saw that scripture, and by the way, the scripture that you were referring to, it appears in several different places, but in Jeremiah chapter 23, it speaks about how no longer will they speak about the days coming out of Egypt, but when God brings the people out of the North country and also all the countries that he has scattered them, we are seeing the foretaste of that. And it's so sad that so many Israelis and Jewish people in general and the church does not realize that God is at work in our days. Baruch, you're truly a living testimony of God regathering. Can you share with us why you and your family made Aliyah return to Israel? We've been here for 20 years, and, and really what brought me to faith was reading the Word of God. What, what convinced me that, that we should make Aliyah and, and return to the land of Israel and make our home here is as well prophetic truth. So prophecy is so important, and Christ in prophecy is, is really the foundation of everything that is spiritual, everything that is going to lead us into intimacy with God and to be able to experience his promises, his blessings, and to share that good news with other individuals. Baruch, tell us about your own upbringing. Were you raised in an observant Jewish home or a Messianic home, and has the rest of your family come to know the Lord? More towards an observant home, certainly not a Messianic uh, uh, family, but I, I'm pleased to say that more and more of my family are coming to faith, considering this gospel and seeing change is happening in them. And for some of them, the time is, is running out. Uh, they're getting older. And so uh, it's a constant concern and a matter of prayer to see uh, family and friends who, who are in spiritual darkness come into the light. And I believe the only way for that to happen is, is through the, the power of this word, introducing them to, to the scripture, the word of God, so that they might experience truth that truly transforms and changes them into a, a kingdom person with that, that, that hope. Well, amen. Baruch, how can our viewers get in touch with your ministry and access all your Bible teaching materials? Yeah, we have a website. Uh, our, our heart's desire is for people to, to know the Word of God. Our website is loveisrael, those two words, loveisrael.org. We also have an, an app, and that app is called My Bible Study. It's free in the Android and iPhone uh, uh, app stores. So those are two of the ways. We have a YouTube channel that's also called loveisrael.org. And again, our whole purpose is just to share biblical truth. I'm so glad that you do. I, of course, have been part of a Seder meal that focuses on Yeshua as our Passover lamb. And that's why I was so eager for you to come on and explain the prophetic significance of this Jewish ordinance. 
But Baruch, it has been a delight to have you. I'm sure we'll have you back on Christ in Prophecy. I would love to be to be back. I thank you very much, Tim, and and look forward to to being in studio sometime and and sharing some fellowship with you. Twice in the pages of Exodus, God reveals himself by name to Moses. Moses asked how to respond if he told the sons of Israel that the God of their fathers had sent him to them, and they asked, what is his name? God said, I am who I am. Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Later in chapter 33, Moses asked the Lord God to show him his glory. God responded that his glory was far too overwhelming for Moses to see face to face and live. So he passed by and allowed Moses to see his back, proclaiming his name as he did so. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. In the New Testament, Jesus referred to God as his Father in heaven and taught us to do the same. His model prayer begins, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. In the past few years, though, the world's sexual revolution has pitched over into moral insanity. Determined to undermine every facet of the creation order established by God, even gender identity is being turned on its head. Language itself is being abused as people cast off what they think are shackles regarding even the pronouns used to describe individuals. So-called progressives reject words like he and she or him and her, insisting instead on being called Zim or Zay, or the ridiculously confusing they, even when speaking of an individual. But now, the abusers of the English language have turned their sights on Almighty God. Religion News Service recently reported that the pronoun police are insisting that despite Jesus' testimony, Father is far too patriarchal and oppressive to describe God. They also demand that God be referred to as they instead of he. It's one thing for woke professors in government schools to demand that their students choose a preferred pronoun or for segments of society to engage in mass confusion regarding genders and words, but to turn Christianity on its head to comply with avant-garde sensibilities makes a mockery of God's personal revelation of Himself. God did not tell Moses, call me whatever you'd like. And Jesus did not say, find a word for God that makes you feel good and use it. God revealed His name to Moses in a moment of holy intimacy. And Jesus revealed yet another aspect of God's eternal character. Psalm 2 warns us, Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not become angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. In 1969, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young sang, Teach Your Children Well. The exact nature of the lessons they advised left much to be desired, but the admonition to teach our children is found in the wisdom of Scripture. Immediately after proclaiming, The Lord Yahweh is our God, the Lord is one, God had this to say about His words. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, 
testimony of the living God and his eternal world should resonate in every aspect of our lives and be actively passed on to our children and grandchildren. As Baruch Corman explained, part of the significance of the annual Seder meal is its commemoration of the Passover. Not only is this designed to keep God's miraculous deliverance of the children of Israel front and center in the collective mind of the Jewish people, it is designed to train up the next generation to understand their national roots and providence of God. Yet, Judges records that shortly after Joshua's death, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, not yet the work which he had done for Israel, then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. The nation slid into a cycle of despair as everyone did what was right in their own eyes. With our own society casting itself adrift from its Christian foundations into a vast wasteland of moral confusion, it is more critical than ever that we heed both God's word and the purpose of the Seder. Make sure you teach your children well, lest they drift far from the Lord and into spiritual oblivion. Ground them in Jesus Christ and they will grow up to bear much fruit for the Lord. Nathan, you really are spot on about teaching our children and grandchildren. And that's one of the primary reasons behind a Passover Seder. It really is. And folks, that's why we wanted to whet your appetite regarding Passover, but we've only scratched the surface in teaching the significance of each element of the Seder meal, the beautiful commemoration of God's providence and protection that is a high point of a Jewish family's year and how they pass on to their children their own heritage. Now, while lamb is at the heart of the Passover meal, two of the most important elements of the Seder are the wine and the unleavened bread. Several toasts are offered throughout the meal with the third cup symbolizing redemption or blessing. Unleavened matzah bread, striped and pierced all across its surface, is eaten. And the middle piece of matzah is called the afikomen, literally the coming one. And partway through the meal, it is ceremonially broken and then hidden for three periods of time. At the culmination of the meal, the children are told to go and find the afikomen. They search until they find the hidden matzah and rejoice as it emerges once again. For followers of Yeshua, every aspect of the Seder points to the one who came and was broken, but remains hidden and unseen by so many today. Sadly, although most Jews observe Passover each year, they do so out of a sense of tradition or cultural heritage, and most of them put no prophetic significance in the elements of the meal or the words they recite. And many of them do not worship or even believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our sincere prayer is that every Jew would come to know Yeshua, that they would reclaim their own birthright and be in relationship with the great I Am who delivered their ancestors from bondage in Egypt. Our prayer is that you also would come to know Jesus, the Messiah who has come and is coming again. Our Life in Bible Times DVD will give you more information on Jewish life and culture in the Old and New Testament eras. It even shows how the Passover was done in the Last Supper. For a donation of only $20 or more, we'd be glad to ship you a copy. Just call the number on the screen or visit our online store. Our key verse for this episode is Exodus 3, 7 through 8a. On our website, we've posted an explanation of this key verse along with some additional important verses. And I hope that you've been keeping track of your own key verse from each episode of this series. You're in for a surprise blessing if you have been. Our next episode of Christ and Prophecy will focus on a book that many people find difficult to be excited about, Leviticus. But Tim, you find it inspiring and engaging, don't you? I really do. You know, okay. once I began looking for Jesus Christ throughout the Word of God, I realized that He is there on every page. And even in the book of Leviticus, it resonates with God's promise of relationship. I'd encourage you to read Leviticus this week. 
It's only 27 chapters long. Ask God to illuminate this ancient text and reveal Himself as you study. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Throughout the Seder meal, Jewish families recite an ancient prayer of blessing on Almighty God. They say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. And with that in mind, I'm Nathan Jones. And I'm Tim Moore. Together, we say, look up, be watchful, for the Lord, our God, King of the universe, is drawing near. Godspeed. Thank <laughs> you.